Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Hi. Today we welcome the beloved teacher, mystic, and author, Carolyn Mace. The topic, our individual and collective shadow. I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, here with my co-hosts for Open Heart Conversations, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Dr. Jean Houston. Thank you. Well, Jean, I'm going to leave it up to you. How would you open a conversation with such a great teacher around the shadow? I would open it with a story. It's all storied. And the story <laughs> I'm going to tell is one that I don't think anybody here knows. It began with a great friend of mine who was a Jungian psychiatrist, Dr. Edmund Whitmont. And uh, when he was a young man, and it already was very much immersed in Jungian philosophy, he was a psychiatrist, he went to visit Dr. Jung, and uh, he went to Bollingen. And they said, well, he's not here, but go sit in the garden, he'll show up. So he sat in the garden and he was stunned because in front of him was this vast hole and all kinds of dirt was being, you know, just thrown up from the hole. Just dirt, dirt, dirt. And after a while, this huge naked man crawled out of the hole, grunted at him, and went mm, off into Bulligan. It was Carl Jung, who had been digging in the hole and was totally naked. And that was his introduction. And then... Some about a half hour later, he came back again, beautifully quaffed, and they sat down and talked. That's my story. What would you make of it from the shadows point of view? Oh, are you asking me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, well, I I think that's delicious. I think um, Carl Jung would have wanted to put his hands into the shadow. Mm -hmm. He would have wanted to. He would have wanted, and that's what he did, to smell it, to, to put all his five senses into it, into the grid of the earth. And, and for him, the shadow was, was where human beings dwelled. That was their, I would, I would call it their um, power battery, that the unknown, that was, we were marionettes. And it's the shadow that pulls the strings. Oh. And so for him, the shadow was the heart of the great mystery. And so for him, it, it could have just been an exercise in um, earth power. Because he did, he related to the elements intimately. Mm-hmm. So... That's how I would say it. It's probably a good thing for someone to do. Roll around in the earth. 
talent, um, it, it was in fact Carl Jung who first posited the idea of the shadow. Can you tell us a little bit more about him and the importance of his work? Did you ask me or Jean? Carol. Yeah. Oh, well, I think um, Jung is one of the people that we could say, um, one of those individuals that changes the course of human history. That, um, and people like that don't come along very often, you know, but when they do, they are, they are cosmic power changes, changers. You know, they, he opened up the cosmos and he, it, you know, when, when you compare him to like Freud was cologne, but he was cosmic perfume. And he opened up access to the collective and Freud couldn't have even dreamt to go that high. And, and Freud kind of started to unlock the pathway into our interior psyche and, and, and into the soul and, gave, and began to give us language through which we could articulate our interior fiber and, and bring the collective out in and out. And so if you could, if, if I, I would say that he was the catalyst for the transformation that we have been going through ever since. And, and may I ask a, a question? It's really for our listeners. Uh, we have a, a different variety of people who, who tune in or watch us mm -hmm. and have, may have heard of this term shadow or have some idea what shadow means. And could you sort of in the in, and, and maybe I'll ask this for Jean also. What is what is shadow and what does it mean to us? Because I think that would be helpful for, for those who may not have been working in it in the field for a while. Well, uh, well, the shadow, you know, would be described as the unknown part of yourself that has authority in you, great authority. And it is the part if you ask someone, why'd you do this? And they say, I don't know. Well, you would say, you, you should say, I'll be right back. I'm going to consult my shadow. And, and it's the part that it takes you a great deal of time to become comfortable with. You're not born knowing yourself at all, which strikes people as being a very, you, you know, unbelievable thought, but it's true. You don't know yourself at all. You're as, you're as unknown to yourself as you are to a stranger and you have to get to know yourself. And so you don't know why you do the things you do, but you certainly don't know your archetypal patterns and you don't know why you have the myths you do and, and how powerful they are, how unbelievably powerful a myth is in your head or a, a sacred myth, a myth of God. Just the idea that, bad, that how many people believe that, that good things Bad things should not happen to good people. That is traced to your relationship to God. And that's how you structured your whole idea of how God operates and, and all your superstitions. And it's in your spiritual DNA. And that is a psychic myth that there's no truth to that at all. It, 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 it's, it goes into the law of karma. It goes into all kinds of things, but it's a myth. 
Let us then just pick up with the myth, which I think of as something that never was, but is always happening. The kind of coded DNA of the human psyche without which we just shrivel up and become ghosts of ourselves. I'm going to ask you about your own, well, I'll use the ancient Greek term, eidos, Plato's word, the divine idea. Everything had an eidos, an essence, a, a, a divinity that was part of itself. I'm going to ask you, dear friend, how does the eidos, the essence self, the mythic structure, the divine idea of Carolyn, what does that eidos think of your work in exploring the shadow from the perspective of the divine idea? It's a mythic question. Under normal circumstances, Gene, if you and I were just speaking in a room together as sisters, I would have to say to you, I need to pray on that because you have not asked me a simple question. You've asked my soul a question. That's right. Yeah. You haven't asked me a question. And I need to take that into prayer. So I don't have that privilege right now to do that. So I'm not going to give you the best answer to that. And so it's an inadequate answer. And, um, but I can only off the top of my head say to you that I, I um, live a very prayerful life, very quiet, prayerful life. And I, I have learned through the years that I, 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 be, I have, I, I believe, th I, I have been led into a deep rapport with the holy world that for me, it is a, I, I live within a bio-spiritual, ecological oh, lovely. lovely. And so in which all life breathes together. And so I have come to understand the divine in an organic way, but also an intimate way. So I, I breathe God. The, 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 I, and if I am out of alignment, if my myth, if I am falling out of alignment, mm -hmm. then my whole bio-spiritual ecological system falls out of alignment because it is one in the same. It's one in the same. It is an ecological bio-spiritual theology fiber system and I'm alerted I'm alerted and I I have to I have to respond immediately yes I feel it in my tissue I feel it in the walls of my soul I feel it I require a lot of silence a lot of prayer I never play music I mm. I, I I'm I'm very monastic not not as a discipline, but as a response. I have to hear all the time. All the time. So. 
But then, dear friend, how were you able to live in what others would call divided and distinguished worlds, being able to do such deep, deep work on the shadow while keeping your monastic essence? Because I, I was born upside down. You know, uh, I, I tell you the truth, Jean, but this interview shouldn't be about me and my deep, my private self, but um, I was born in the observational mode. I was born in the observational mode. I, I've, been in, I've been with a Jungian analyst, spiritual director for 24 years now, mm-hmm. two hours a week, 24 years. He's a theologian a spirit, and a Jungian analyst out of Switzerland, a Catholic. So we're, we're woven of the same substance. PhD in psychology, PhD from a theolo- a, a, in, in theology, a good old Catholic from the south side of Chicago. And then he got his, it studied uh, 14 years in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to him, I have never been able to contact physical life in an ordinary way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I am so comfortable observing it and, and hearing the other side. And, and um, being in, in, in my, and, and, and observing evil and observing good and, oh, and, and watching the, dynamics but I've never been able to when I was seven I, I knew I would be a writer when I was nine I was told Carolyn you're not going to marry this lifetime I said okay I was always given my orders and instructions you to go do this just like it was always this gentle guidance I like when I, when I reflect on the question that, that Jean just asked you, it, it really hits me how, I, now I understand why you both call each other sister, because mythically speaking, I view you both as kind of modern day Moses, in the sense that you are both leading us to the promised land, and the promised land is, is really intimate. It's, 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 it's spaces within our own spirit, soul, and consciousness that we human beings need to explore in order to evolve. Um, and both of you have done that in your work. You lead us into the promised land of our own hearts. If that is indeed true, then if you were leading us into that space called the shadow, what, what truly, what is the shadow? How does it originate? You know, walk us into that promised land of our own inner being. What is the shadow and, and how does it originate in us? You want to take that one, honey? Go on. Oh, all right. Well, all right. Let's start with this. Before we get to the shadow, before we get there, let's start with this. Power is the fundamental ingredient of the human experience. Power. Everything is power. Everything. Everything we do is a negotiation of power what we wear, how we think, what we eat. Is this going to empower me? Will it disempower me? If I'm diabetic, 
this cookie will disempower me, every single thing. And so we start out by a relationship with tactile power. Is this pen powerful? Is it expensive? What, what has power? Our senses relate to power. Eventually, we begin to understand how emotional power works, belief power, what people believe. We begin to observe what people believe, what words have power. If I say this word to you, I watch you get disempowered. And that activates. As soon as our appetites are activated, our shadows activated. As soon as our appetites, as soon as our cravings, as soon as we start wanting things, as soon as we start craving things, we activate. As soon as we start losing control of ourselves, which happens around in, in early in, in early on in our in our life. And as soon as we lose touch with our conscience, when we really lose touch with that inner metronome that says, don't, don't do this, don't do this, do this. And somewhere around age seven or eight, we're tested and we are tested as to whether or not we will stay in touch with that voice because everybody's wired to hear that voice early on. And when we lose touch with that, if we decide the hell with that voice, that's when we associate telling the truth with fear. That's when we enter a relationship with the dark. That's when the dark becomes our ally and truth becomes our enemy. That's when we start developing a rapport with lying is power, truth is dangerous. And I give you the world we have today. That was, that was uh, magnificent. And um, we can continue down that. I, 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 again, because of, of the audience, I just, you've, been, you've been using words like myth and, and, and you know, that's part of your question. For, again, for, for the folks watching, what is, a, what is myth and what is archetype? And I feel you know, that's a little more, more basic than the work that you're, you're sharing right now. And it, it helps put that framework to going further into this conversation. If, if. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I think people need to understand that archetype is a pattern of power. And we are designed to, to, to sense that pattern. We do it so fast, and we could call it labels. People sit around and label people this fast. That looks like a geek. That person looks like this. That person looks like a business person. That person looks like a con artist. We smell archetypes. We're so good at it. It's just that that word seems to have edgy intellectualism to it. But we are designed because we're designed to judge. And and we we just, and, and we pick out the archetypes because we're designed to survive. And our survival instinct sits there and senses, are you, are you friend or foe? Are you, are, are you, are, you know, am I, and your second chakra kicks in, which, which senses, am I going to be attacked or do I attack safe or not? And all of these instincts take flight before you're even conscious and they signal to you and they provide data 
and you get your that person's archetypal data this fast. That person looks like a con artist. I don't trust this person. All of that is an archetypal read and you get it that fast. You don't tell yourself, oh, look, I'm psychic. I'm getting archetypal data. Isn't that fascinating? You don't do that because your wires aren't like that. You don't live in the hologram yet. But if you did, if you suddenly stopped yourself and said, my God, this is fascinating. This is all energetic data that my hologram is just taking in. And it's so incredible. I wonder what would happen if I look at that person. If you stopped for one bloody second and paid attention to how your hologram is just going and acquiring energetic data, you'd realize you were collecting archetypal data that fast. And if I stopped you and said, tell me, how much you picked up in this room. You would have done 30 archetypal readings. You'd pick up on all their mythologies. You'd say, I'd say, is that person a mother? Is that a mother myth? Good mother, nurturing or abusive? What do you got there? Smothering mother, devouring mother. What do we have here? Is that person, what what do we got there? Do we have someone there who's a, a, a judgmental person? Is that person a healer? Is this one a rescuer? What do we got here? Is that person a warrior? Do you feel like that you sense fight in that person? Is that person a coward? What do you pick up? Do you pick up a vampire in this one? You could pick up every one of those vibrations. And as soon as you do that, you pick up the mythologies and how they have organized themselves into behavioral traits. And as soon as you do that, You know exactly how their relationships go. And as soon as you do that, you just let it sink in and you can go right into their cell tissue and you see the map of their biology. Is that what helped you? And I don't know if you still do it in being uh, able to read people's bodies, their illness, Well, I I started out the other way, Jean. I started out um, in the 80s just, you know, I I didn't even know what medical intuition was. I mean, you know, and I had a a skill I had no interest in. I have a genius for something I have no interest in and a passion for something I have no talent for. (laughs) But anyway. um, That's the way to go. (laughs) and, and, And so, you know, I, God introduced me to Norm Sheely, to my dear forever friend. Norm and he Sheely. is still alive, isn't he? Yes, very much so. hundred years older. <laughs> exactly 20 years older than me. So I'm, how old am I? I'm 68, he's 88. And we're born two days apart. So I'm December 2nd, he's December 4th. We are like this. <laughs> and so, um, but we met when I was way in, I think I was 31. He was 51. Mm-hmm. And so we've been together a long time. And so he, he, we went at a conference and I was a publisher. I was an editor and, but I, I could sense illness in people. And I thought, isn't that curious? But I, but, but Pat Norris from the Menninger clinic said, you know, he's an interesting guy. He studies physician. He's for you, for both of everyone listening. He's a doctor. Of, uh, he's a brain surgeon and a PhD, and he founded the American Holistic Medical Association, and he also is a mystic and just a, well, incredible. 
And he studied people who were, who were what he called medical clairvoyance. And so I told him, I think I can do that. And he said, how good are you? I said, I don't know. And anyway, he called me with a patient in his office. And in the beginning, all I could do was sense that there was something wrong with someone and where it was and this kind of thing. And eventually I would get impressions of what was wrong in their life. Like this person has a difficulty with marriage and is very frightened or this or that. And so I started to find that fascinating. The more I found it fascinating, the more I took it seriously, the more I developed a desire to help people, the more my wires opened up. So it took years and decades. And then I I began to wonder how come I assumed, I made the assumption that most people wanted to be healthy. And it was fascinating to me to realize most people don't. Not at all, shadow. Most people don't. Most people find the idea of being whole and healthy terrifying. And that's when it got really fascinating to me. Because I thought, well, looky, 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 what have we got here? And then I saw that most people find the street value of their wounds, of their weakness, to be too valuable to trade in for the empowerment of health. Caroline, can you can you lead us into a conversation about what people refer to as the collective shadow? You've spoken a little bit about how the individual shadow arises. What is the collective shadow? The Republican Party. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, the the collective well, it is fascism. The collective shadow is like this. What's going on today? is that in the collective, people sense that, that we are entering, that we've entered into a very different age of humanity. Everybody can sense that. And so, um, and that, that if there was one word that characterizes this age it is the word holism that's the template word so it's downloaded into our bio spiritual ecology and that and 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 we feel it's safe there we go to the doctor and say i want a holistic because this is our little bitty earth and we we can manage it and so it's safe but to take that micro into the macro we don't want to do that we don't want to do that so but it's going into the macro anyway. What is in one is in the whole. These are the laws of God is law. God is law. And this is the law. And these are our orders. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our open heart conversation on the individual and collective shadow. What can, can you offer people? And I know, Jean, you do this too, to help you know, individuals and community 
not get stuck in their story or their shadow of saying, you know, of, of, of non-health, you know, non-mental health, non-emotional health, non-physical health. We're, we're, you were mentioning people kind of get stuck or like being there, like, like being there, but are swirling around with that. How do you pe- move people out of that? Well, I think, I think we have to move past the language we've been using and get to elephants in the room. And instead of just talking about moving people past, we've got to move you past. I'm going to talk to you about why you don't want to move past. I'm sick and tired of talking to you about moving past. I want to know why you're sabotaging your own journey. Tell me. So now I get out of you why you're vengeful, what you think you have coming to you, what what comeuppance you think you're owed. So let's get all that on the table or we're going nowhere. And that's shadow work, isn't it? Yes, but that's tough shadow work. And you better get down to the tough shadow work because it's like when I got to forgiveness, forgiveness is a cakewalk. What's when you finally say to somebody, I'm not, I don't, you dare tell me you're trying to forgive because the the word try goes, what you're saying is I'm still vengeful. I want to make them suffer. They humiliated me. So you, you have no interest in forgiveness. And you still think that because you're in pain, you're owed something. And that's the story they're telling themselves. And so until people get over the idea that they think they have some reward coming to them, how do they get over that? Where did that come from? Oh, I know. Christianity. The great curse of Jesus. The idea that you're getting a reward. Seriously, you suffer because you'll be rewarded. Well, the hell with heaven. I want it now. And this is how that happened. I get rewarded for my suffering. What do you mean you get rewarded? And this is woundology. My wounds have street value. And that's how we became a litigious society. You wounded me. I get to sue you. So how do you get over the idea that you're entitled? That's the problem is entitlement and woundology. You've got to name it properly before you can move through it. And that sounds like that's true for individuals and for the society in general. Yeah. And I I think the other thing is, you you have to tell the people what's true. You're not special. Humble up. Why don't you plan your own funeral? This is what I tell some of my students. Plan your funeral and see how many people are still crushed the day after you're buried. Because that will tell you how important you are. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You are not owed anything by anybody. Get over yourself. I would like to Thank you. Thank offer you. you a, I would like to offer you a poem 
And I would love to hear, see, feel your response to it. It's from Christopher Fry's The Sleep of Prisoners. Oh, I have that book. Okay, and it goes, the human heart can go to the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries cracks, breaks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flood, the flow, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to meet us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul folk ever took. Affairs are now soul-sized. The enterprise is exploration into God. What are you making for? It takes so many thousand years to wake, but will you wake for pity's sake? One of my favorite, favorite poems of all time. You could not have picked a better jewel. I I have it memorized. Oh, will you wake for pity's sake? And I would love to hear your answer, your awakening answer. Oh, where you are now to where you were two minutes ago. And when you were speaking, when you were caught in the hologram of wickedness. When I was caught in the hologram of wickedness? No, no, no. the way you presented it, 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 it blasted through us. And there's also that, that it's not done a dialectic, it's a natural resonant re-Renaissance-like response to the pandemic of our time. Mm-hmm. Pandemic of heart, of soul, and not just of body. I, I, you see, I, I think that what we are, I think even the pandemic, Gene, is the answer to a is divine intervention. Because the great change agent historically has always been wars. And we must move toward holism. And and look, look, look what's happened. We are, these past generations, we're the only people since World War II, the generations, the nuclear generations, that have taken down the fundamental pillars of society, that have, that have held together societies forever. We've taken down the, 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 the church. We've taken down family traditions. We've taken down the stabilities that, that have lasted through wars, World War I, World War II, Civil War, Russian War, revolutions. It didn't matter. Certain things held intact and we took them all down. And then we took down the structure of what was real. Well, what, what's real? I mean, what's real? And we, we then, there's an epidemic of people questioning whether there's anything guiding this world. So we have this amorphous psychic zone where people feel like they could say, there is, there is no God, there's no God, there's no God which gives them permission to do whatever they want. And what, what, if I may speak like a mystic, a mystic theologian, that, that makes someone ripe for the kind of temptation that allows someone to negotiate, to, um, 
um, negotiate their conscience. And so we don't talk about conscience anymore. We talk about consciousness, which is a completely useless word. <laughs> it has absolutely no connection to the sacred. Nothing whatsoever. It has no connection whatsoever to the sacred. What does that word mean? It means, well, for some means they, they recycle, for other people it means they're vegetarians. The word conscience means accountability. It means reflection. It, it, it suggests an inherent moral code. It suggests ethics. And it suggests that there's a force guiding there's something in the system to which we are accountable well we turned off the conscience bit and as a result people free float in i can do what i want i can it's turned us it's it's created this hybrid ego called the inner self that's neither the ordinary ego nor is it a higher self but it's an inner self that is like this little insular thing that is an alternate self that knows the truth so that someone will say, I got it on the inner. And if they get it on the inner, they want to suggest that it's direct guidance, not quite, but it's more truth than what they're normally telling you. So if they say, really, I got it on the inner, it's they get to now speak truth to you that they wouldn't what their ordinary ego would never allow them to say. So this inner thing is this thing we've created so that our outer self can live a deception. And when we want to speak the truth, we haul out our inner self. So we're, no wonder we're schizophrenic. No wonder. And we, we've taken away the necessary sacraments like confession to rid ourselves of, of to, to rid ourselves of conscious acts of betrayal, which in fact, a sin is when you know you've made a choice in which other people will pay a price. This is the activity of the shadow. Now, are we schizophrenic or are we polyphrenic that we are exposed to so many different varieties of selfhood um, oh, what do I want? Selfhood yearnings and gobblings that we have even lost the schizophrenic self, that we are in a muchness that is a uh, that is filled with the the, the pre-medieval soup of the mind, so that we have lost the real imaginative and have become margins of ourselves gene the whole the whole spiritual journey the yeah. whole deep rich journey you don't enter the soul unescorted you have a a spiritual director a mentor who goes with you week after week prayer after prayer year after year after year because this deep journey opens you to other dimensions. Now, what you just said, and I hope I can say this, what this time is about, Jung, Jung's prelude of 
the veil is going to become thin. The archetypal world is going to begin to present itself. You're going to start speaking archetypes and you don't even realize it. You're going to start identifying archetypes, creating the world with archetypal patterns. We are consciously, unconsciously, weaving ourselves together in an inner net, in an inner net, mm-hmm. okay? And in that inner net, we are, the pandemic is a sickness from the inner net, okay? From the collective, all right? Which is why we're going to have at least three more evolution, um, um, uh, um, Pandemics. Yes, yes. Pandemics in the past have often preceded preceded renaissances. One needed almost the catharsis of the awful and the unseen that then resulted in various other cultures in renaissance. Renascitas, rebirths, regenerative form. Where are these coming from? Did they require the pandemic in order to have the renaissance and the genius self arise? I don't know if I can say this so it makes sense. Look, one of the things, one of the shifts that changes in mysticism, like it did with Jesus, like with Buddha, what were they? They were beings of present time, Mm -hmm. vertical consciousness. What is happening as we enter the, we enter the energy age is we're going from horizontal chronos beings to kairos beings. Okay. The loaded time, the time depth. As we're shifting to Kairos consciousness, nobody's announced that, but as we shift to Kairos through our technology, through our weaving together, through our speed of consciousness, through all of the, we're also accessing multiple self patterns, which look like madness to the ordinary mind to the ordinary mind. So there's an increase in schizophrenia. There's an increase in bipolar. Autism is the Kairos wiring in a Kronos brain. Yes, very much so. Okay. And, and it's not until all of this, as we evolve and begin to articulate and recognize this, will, the, will, will our neurology expand to accommodate our electro-neurology, our, our mystical neurology. Can, can you say, Morgan, uh, with the time that we have, because we, you know, Jean, Jean just read you uh, or recited a poem of which you connect with. And in our world, which we've, you know, labeled spiritual artistry or the arts, uh, in terms of how we, because we are the largest theater on Broadway, we're also a, a, a spiritual center of uh, whatever, of being conscious and morality, if you will, uh, of teaching and, and we use the arts. So I would be interested in Jean, you may help me with the question, uh, the, the, the role of arts in helping the awakening or what, what can, a, what can a, an arts organization do or a spiritual center in helping people during this process, especially having Jean as our chairman. I, I don't know what your programs are. I don't know. What, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I would need to know 
a little bit about what you do. And this is one. This is the so as part of his education for people, right? Or looking to to learn something new or get a more of a sense of themselves. Oh, it's so it brings kairos. So kairos becomes kairotic, eros, <laughs> eros and kairos really being brought together, and creating a love fest of arts, of music, of literature, of theater. Yeah, where people are lifted beyond the encapsulation of the little local ego into a into a a feeling force of art and beauty and possibility where they come alive again. That's what we're talking about. It sounds marvelous. That sounds, I think, you know, the, the role is, is education mm -hmm. and inspiration and um, <clears throat> to me, a society without the arts becomes barbaric. Barbaric. It's the most important center of light. So if anything, increase what you're doing. Thank you. Caroline, um, one of, you seem to be saying to us, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that in order for us to move into that world, into this world that's evolving, that's maturing, that's becoming, Part of that is, is, is shadow work. It's daring to look at the darker sides of ourselves, daring to look at our myths with a kind of brutal honesty, questioning everything, even the very idea of victimization, questioning everything uh, and bringing it all to light. If that is indeed true, if that is true, then what is the, the place of spiritual organizations like our own? It seems to me that spiritual organizations are often defined by light chasing, right? We're all running after the, the, the divine, the beautiful, the perfect, the good, um, which seems to be almost uh, antithetical to shadow work. Um, or is it? Good question. Yeah. No, I don't. I think that churches and organizations, um, I, well, I obviously don't know everything you do, but when I think of like a, a lot of the um, work, for example, the Catholic charities do, they go after the homeless. They they feed the homeless. They in the church that I'm part of, um, uh, Grace Episcopal. You know, we do a lot for for homeless people, and and you could say that's the shadow work, but it is the shadow work of society. Uh, it's taking you know, and I think when you can work with. Um, you know, the, what, the people that need help, people need help. And you, you put yourself out there and you, and you introduce the word sacrifice into your community. And say, we have to sacrifice for these people. We have more, they have less. And that's all there's to it. And that's all there's to it. Carol, you, you, you literally are telling us that, that walking into, if you will, the marginalized, the forgotten, the discarded, the overlooked, um, is itself a form of shadow work. Yes, yes, yes. Very yes, good. it is. And it's, but it, it's also, I think, very important to... Um, um, 
but always deal with how it's not in a, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it's, and also how you, your policies on how you decide to handle people that we, that you work with. And like, like I have a no coddling policy. I, I, I just, I don't tolerate that. And I don't, and because I don't coddle myself. And I'm also that way with the girls, my kids, the, the, the ones I've raised. I, 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 I love them abundantly, but my job is to make them very strong, functional, loving human beings and not give them the myth that there's something about them that is special and that they were born for something special so that they think everybody else in the world will think that. As I tell them, I think you are as special as anything, but no one else does. So get your head on straight. You'll always come in this house and find an abundance of love waiting for you. Don't think you're gonna walk in any other door and get that. You pick up your clothes. Does your aunt look like a maid? So you don't, you never, how do I say this? You never take away a human being's survival skills. And all I've ever seen parents do is tamper with their kids' survival skills. And they're just, how many dysfunctional kids we have? There are kids who are young adults in their late 20s and 30s who still can't earn a living. They still require their mommies. The proud boys, they're boys. And they're in their 30s and 40s and they're living with their mommies because they're not even men. And they decide to take it out on society. And they're half of them unemployed. Now, who do you think? What kind of thinking do you think emasculated them? Because they thought they were born for something special. Oh, well, obviously the delivery truck missed them. You see, you, the whole idea of life is co-creation. And who taught them prayer? Who taught them to walk humbly on the earth? You don't teach anybody to expect to have entitlement, but to have humility and gratitude. I can't hear you, Jean. Not I, not I, but the wind that blows through me. A fine wind is blowing a new direction of time. If only it bear me, if only it carry me, if only most lovely of all, I am borne by the fine wind that blows through the chaos of the world. Give me the next lines from your heart. From your heart. So hover over me. Hover over me. Yes. So hover over me while I travel through chaos, while I travel through stillness, while I land safely in your arms. Lord bless me. Thank you. Thank you for your depth, your wisdom, your raw, 
unafraid, speaking to the world and to our hearts and to who we yet may be and will be by virtue of your grace and those like you. Thank you for being on the planet at the same time. That's weird. Well, I, 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 I want to leave it with a note of hope because I am very hopeful. Good. Why? Why? Why are you? Why because, are you because I think that any time heaven tries this hard to wake us up, some people are really going to wake up. Yes. And I know... Um, heaven's come very close to the ground now but I also know heaven will not do anything for us that we must do for ourselves that's why we're built with arms and legs mm -hmm. and eyes and ears so prayer's power thank you and before we, we wrap up this program what I'd love to, to ask you is uh, well first of all thank you so much it's, it's been extraordinary and uh, before we, we, we finish, though, we'll go back to Jose. Um, I, I know you have some programs out there. If people are interested more in shadow work, certainly we have a number of books. But, but again, for our listeners and viewers ha, uh, that listen to this and it's so extraordinary and want to learn more, um, there's a. They, they should come to my website. I have a lot of my workshops are available for free at mysss.com. And. Um, I have a reflections series, which are my online classes on reflections parallel. And so tell them to come, you know, take a look because we have to teach online now. I'm trying to get Jean to come and teach a class. Sure. Sure. Because I I mean, yes. who, who would not want that master teacher? So there you go. Great. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Before you leave, there's one last question. What are you working on now? What are, what are the stuff that's really got? I, I'm, I'm working now? on. I'm, I'm working on um, uh, a book on organic divinity. Hmm. <laughs> Can't wait to, to read that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be. Colin, thank you so very, very, very much. This has indeed been a phenomenal treat for for all of us. For all our. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And Jean, as always, having you is such a complete gift. Thank you so much uh, for participating in this open heart conversation. Thank you so much. And I love the idea brought back of eating the God. <laughs> Once and future times, we continue the feast. Oh, Jean, I love you, girl. Love you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bishop Heathershay, thank you so much. And to all our viewers and our listeners, Thank you for participating in another episode of Open Heart Conversations. You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.